I think it's important to always remember that if you don't know a dog well, um, you're at obviously a much higher risk of misinterpreting its body language. And, you know, these, these dogs do not all have the same vocabulary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 6 of Dog Lab. This is Brian Burton. Based on the positive feedback from the last episode we did with Sarah Frazier, co-owner of Instinct Dog Behavior and Training in New York City, and Ruth Chrysler, owner of C-Spot Run in Chicago, we are having them back again, and this time tapping into their immense experience to discuss Lost in Translation, how dog body language or behavior can easily be misinterpreted. For example, does a dog showing their belly always mean that they want tummy rubs? Can barking or growling be misunderstood? Are dogs that are overly excited actually happy? And if a dog takes a treat from you, does that now mean that you're friends? The answers to these questions aren't always intuitive, but there are clues that can help. In my opinion, if you can master one skill with your dog, understanding dog body language may be the most important. This is a great episode, and I hope it helps you understand your canine family member better. The full impressive bios for Sarah Frazier and Ruth Chrysler are in the episode notes, along with the research references and resources mentioned in the episode. So once again, here is Ruth Chrysler and Sarah Frazier. Okay, Ruth Chrysler and Sarah Frazier, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, happy to be here again. Me too. Cool. Uh, so we've asked you both to come back today uh, since we got great feedback from your first episode. And this week we'll be talking about lost in translation. So body language or behavior that pet owners may interpret one way, but their dog may feel completely different about it. This also reflects research, which I'll put notes to, uh, or sorry, put links to in the show notes, that dog owners can be good at understanding positive body language, but can sometimes not classify negative emotions or more subtle signs correctly. Um, And this is because body language isn't always intuitive and you don't know what you don't know. Uh, However, the good news is that once you do start to learn some of these basic simple things, it will increase increase your ability to understand how your dog is feeling um, and you'll be able to instruct your family members and friends uh, on this very important skill around your dog as well. Um, So I just kind of wanted to start it off that way to make sure that people know that we're you know, it's it's understandable that you might interpret some of this stuff a certain way, um, especially culturally um, or the way we used to think about it. But as we go through today, sort of keep an open mind um, and kind of embrace the nuance, I guess, of some of these behaviors because um, it can be it, it can be tricky, but it can also be fun as you go through and start to to understand this. Sounds good. Cool. Great. So let's get started. So we have a list of of. Uh, topics that was come up with by asking our team members um, at Instinct. Um, Ruth, you also um, had some examples as well. And th- these are sort of common things that come up quite frequently um, and can be and can sometimes be a little difficult uh, to determine. So, so we'll start off with sort of maybe a common one that I think most people have experience with, which is a dog showing their belly. So um, I think most people have had an experience where they greet a dog or a dog greets them and they roll over and they show their belly. Um, Almost invariably, most people interpret this as them wanting belly rubs. 
So I kind of want to throw this out to you guys in terms of, is that always the case? Or what, what are other reasons why dogs might show their belly? Because um, it seems like it's nice and, and inviting, but it, it can sometimes mean different things. Well, I just wanted to say that I laughed when I saw that example, because for many years, I owned a Jack Russell Terrier. And she used to do this when interacting with other dogs. And it was all part of her plan to launch a sneak attack. Once uh, they would start to sniff her, um, then she would sort of leap up. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it was I mean, it was it was it was very it was very crafty. And it was very effective. Um, But yeah, she was definitely not looking for belly rubs. And funny, Ruth, because I think there was a dog dog play study that looked at the function of a rollover in play between dogs and found that quite often, yes, that was the purpose. It was like a it was a sneaky combat move that was a way to lure dogs in and then pounce in a playful way, um, pounce, but totally not um what someone might expect. Um yeah, and I and I do. Behavior. Yeah, and and I recognize that the <laughs> dynamic is different, you know, between dogs, obviously, than uh, uh, you know, between dogs and people. But um, but that really was my, <laughs> my first thought when I saw that example because um, she sucked a lot of dogs in with that move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she did. They can't resist when a dog rolls over like that. It's like a magnet for them to come and check check things out. <laughs> yep. It's like an open invitation. Um, I mean, if I had to say in terms of belly rubs, I there's kind of three main reasons for me that a dog might do it. One is what you just said, Ruth, in the context of certainly playing with other dogs, which is, you know, the sneaky lure in to begin wrestling. Um, Another is there are some dogs that you look at them and they roll over and they're like loose and waggy and wiggly and they totally are inviting interaction. Um, And then there's kind of what we think of as like the tap out, which is, you know, they're rolling over and exposing their belly um, and they're stiff and they're kind of raising one leg. And that often is more a request for space um, and a request to kind of stop engaging. Um, And I think that's where a lot of people can kind of get in trouble. Yeah, I think that the key thing is to recognize that it doesn't always mean the dog is comfortable. And in fact, it could just be uh, an effort to, um, communicate, Hey, I'm not a threat, you know, please leave me alone. Um, or something along those lines, but it certainly does not always mean that the dog is comfortable with, you know, the, the person that is, uh, you know, that is standing by or, um, or just in that situation. Um, they could still be quite, uh, nervous or uncomfortable and you don't want to approach a dog under those conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, Uh, A lot of people can probably think of a story they've been told or a personal experience where they say, hey, this, you know, dog came up, he requested belly rubs, and then then he bit me out of nowhere, or he snapped at me, or he growled at me, and why would he do that? He he obviously wanted me to pet him, and and that's just, it's another example of kind of something being lost in translation between dogs and humans. Um, The message that was trying to be communicated just, just didn't get through the way it was supposed to. Yeah, and there's also, too, like, there's some dogs where like with their owners, they actually might roll over for belly rubs, but then when they interact with other people, that behavior can have a completely different meaning. And they might actually throw it out during greeting sometimes, again, just because they're uncomfortable or a little bit nervous. So I think the important thing is just because, you know, there are dogs like Jackie likes to roll over for his 
belly rubs, you know, occasionally, but there are times I know when there are new people over and he does it, he, he doesn't bite or anything, but I know sometimes he's like a little uncomfortable or there's like some, some appeasement going on. So just because your dog might do it for you one way, doesn't mean that they might do it for another reason with other people. Yeah. And I think a great way to look at this for people at home is the more familiar you get with dog body language, we can look past the actual position of the body, like, hey, your your belly is showing, and we can look at the whole dog and sort of the level of tension in the body. Because the dog's rolled over and they're like a loose, you know, cooked spaghetti noodle and they're flopping around, they're probably okay. Mm-hmm. But if they're stiff and tense and holding their body really tight and exposing their belly, they probably don't want to be touched right now. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, that in general, even as we go through this today, when we're looking at body language, it's the context of everything. It's, it's, you're not just looking at like the tail or are they showing your belly or are they, you know, it's kind of the context of everything. So I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, as we go through this today and to kind of go back to that example. Yeah. Like when, when Jackie, my little rat here just stretched and made noise right now. Um, when he does it, you know, looking for belly rubs with us, his eyes are a lot softer. Like you said, he's like, he's kind of like a wet spaghetti noodle. He's kind of like flopping around a little bit. Whereas when he does it with people, he's a little unsure of like his eyes are more, he's kind of just staring. He's definitely more stiff. Um, doesn't look quite as comfortable. So it just, you know, it has a completely different, you know, uh, meaning at that point. Um, but yeah. yeah. And I think, I think another point that sort of goes along with that is that body language, just like with people, with humans, body language is pretty individual to the uh, to the animal, to the individual dog. So, you know, we tend to be uh, I mean, we tend to know the body language best of those uh, individuals that we observe most consistently. So if I have a dog at home, you know, I'm going to know that dog's body language uh, very well. And I'm going to hopefully understand it pretty well. Um, but if I meet a different dog, they may do behavior that looks really similar, you know, to what my dog does at home. And it may mean something very Mm -hmm. different. I think it's important to always remember that if you don't know a dog well, um, you're at obviously a much higher risk of misinterpreting its body language. And, you know, these, these dogs do not all have the same vocabulary. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And they don't, and they, they have their preferences for which, uh, which portion of their vocabulary that they use as well. Um, and I would say there's more room for misinterpretation when there's some level of maybe conflict, like conflict or conflicted body language in the dog, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe there's some mixed messages there about what they are like, what they are trying to communicate. Kind of with the belly rub example, for, yep, for exactly. example. Yeah, yep. Cool. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Ruth. Um, well, I think, you know, Brian, you sort of touched upon this, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about it more later. But I think it's also uh, good to uh, recognize that different breed types, for example, have kind of different you know, vocabularies or different sort of behavioral repertoires. So, Mm. um, you know, just something to be cognizant of uh, if you're dealing with, you know, a dog of a certain breed type or a different breed type than the ones that you're Mm. most familiar with. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit. Um, Because that's really interesting. I think people will find that interesting. So, I mean, one example that jumps to my mind is, for example, you, you mentioned you had a Jack Russell and you know that I have or we have rat terriers. Um, so terriers, for example, when they play, sometimes really scare 
the owners of maybe softer breeds sometimes. And I'm not talking about that they're being aggressive, but they sound very loud. Their growling sounds a little bit different than other dogs. Um, and that's like just an example of like one sort of, uh, you know, breed difference. But can you, can you guys think of others where, where the breed can change how we interpret or, or maybe it makes it more difficult to interpret? One thing that, that came to mind right away for me, and, and you were just talking about different types of vocalization, but, you know, I work with a lot of German Shepherds, for example, and I also work with a lot of other breed types like, you know, Pitbull uh, types. And one thing that, you know, I definitely notice in German Shepherd types is they tend to be a lot louder. Uh, they tend to be, you know, quite vocal. And sometimes I think that can come across as more alarming than uh, behavior that is quieter, right? So whether we're talking about mm -hmm. maybe a dog that is reactive to other dogs or, um, you know, uncomfortable in certain situations, uh, if we're talking about a shepherd type, you're more likely to get some very loud and maybe intimidating, you know, barking going on, um, as well as maybe some more dramatic body language, potentially, like, you know, big... Uh, 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 you know, the hackles way up, standing way up, for example, um, very forward, you know, uh, body language. And that doesn't necessarily mean, to my mind, that the German Shepherd is more, you know, aggressive or more uncomfortable or, or more of a threat than a dog that may just be stiff and quiet. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that just has to do with what uh, they're predisposed, uh, to display in terms of, uh, you know, behavior and body language. And, and I don't want to make, you know, too many generalizations, obviously, um, uh, related to breed type. I think it's important to know that there's a huge range within every breed type, uh, of behavior. You're always going to have outliers. Um, so I don't, I don't want to go down the path of stereotyping, obviously, but, you know, some breed types, tend to have more sort of forward, uh, you know, body language, um, as opposed to, you know, more, I don't know, uh, sh more shy looking, um, or more reserved, you know, some are certainly more animated or more vocal, um, whereas others might be quieter or, you know, more still or more stoic, um, you know, seeming. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, um, I think it, it's understandable that people make sort of snap judgments or interpretations based on, uh, you know, how dramatic the behavior, you know, appears in front of them. Uh, but that's not always a reliable indicator. I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, and, and to take your leash reactivity example, like some of the dogs that I remember that made the hair stand up on the back of my neck were very, very quiet. Like there was not a whole lot of, it wasn't overly dramatic, but there was other body language and history and those types of things uh, that, 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 that are there. Well, and I wonder if it might be helpful for people to walk through some more specific common things that people misinterpret and then lay breed over top of that. Yeah. Because otherwise this, I think, may yeah. seem very abstract. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for example. So when we talk about, say, the, um, the this it often comes up in the context of maybe speaking about do like dog bites and mm -hmm. people saying look he was fine 
Like there was no growling, there was no snapping, he was fine. Mm -hmm. And the thing that always pops to my head immediately when I hear this is how most people actually feel when they use the phrase, I'm fine, (laughs) to describe how they're feeling. Um, They, in fact, are not fine. Right. (laughs) Um, And so I think one thing that, that, that people really commonly misinterpret with dogs is that a lack of behavior equals... I'm okay mm-hmm. with the situation when in fact, some of the most, you know, concerning signals sometimes we see from dogs are like, to your point, Ruth, are not the dramatic shepherdy displays of screaming and yelling and, you know, hair puffed up. Um, right. It's actually that very quiet, still yeah. frozen behavior that like Brian, that you mentioned that mm-hmm. can sort of send chills down your spine. And I think it's right. such an easy thing for people to miss if they don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that the misinterpretation happens on both sides of that, right? So people can miss the, uh, the more subtle, you know, cues that an animal is uncomfortable. But they can also, I think, um, uh, you know, o- overinterpret, if you will, um, some of those dramatic displays. I mean, you know, if I had a dollar for every, you know, young adolescent German shepherd that put on a huge display um, that did not really mean very much. <laughs> you know, right. Right. So no if, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So if we wanted to break that down a little bit more and say for people, for the average dog owner um, who's trying to look for cues to tell them when big, loud displays of yelling are something serious and when they're not, and then when sort of still, quote unquote, calm behavior may be something entirely different, Mm -hmm. what kinds of things can they look for? Mm. I find the still one easier to give people very concrete things to look for than the loud yelling displays. Yes. (laughs) Um, Because anytime arousal gets into the picture, things get a little muddy. And with the loud displays, I think there's actually like, you can tell a lot from the bark. So like the pitch, like how, you know, you you can, when you've done this long enough, you can hear stuff in the vocalization that tends to tell you like, oh, you're just being loud or like, oh yeah, like you have a lot of feelings in there or like, you're really confused about this or, you know, so I think maybe that's what it is here. Like, I think I, I almost like with those dogs with the barking, you're almost listening to the auditory output, you know, Mm -hmm. of of the dog. Whereas with the silent one, it's a little bit more visual. So I think it's a little bit easier to give those, um, those descriptions of what to look for, at least in my mind. Cause I think Mm. I've had that with people before where like, they would say like, how do you, how can you tell from the bark? And it's like, you know, there, there's probably certain things like if it's like short and choppy, sometimes you're like, well, maybe that's not as, as serious. Whereas if you get like a lot of the, you know, if there's a lot of like pulling on the leash and, you know, facial expressions and other things with that barking, there's, you know, it it could be something completely different. So I know that's a terrible answer, but I just want, I think it was just the general point on the, the content of that or or like the makeup of that bark sometimes I think influences how I read the dog. Well, and, and I would, I would uh, just to kind of riff off of that, I was thinking about this in terms of um, how we think and and discuss uh, barking as well as growling. I think that's another example where um, we tend, I feel like, to kind of get stuck as soon as we slap a label 
on a behavior, especially if it's just one word like bark or growl that actually mm-hmm. is, you know, a thousand different vocalizations that um, have, a, a, you know, that, that, that cover a wide range of communications, right? So, you know, we talk about growling as if it is, uh, you know, like a single thing, uh, but it's not, you know, it's many things. And I think the same goes maybe even more so for, uh, for things we label barking, right? Um, there's so many different types of barks and uh, so many, it can mean so many different things. Yeah. So maybe if we start with the first one, so the example of the dog being still, like, what are some things where, like, so if you, so like, what are some things we look for, for a dog who's probably, uh, that we should be a little bit more cautious with right. maybe in that interaction versus not. Yeah. And I mean, I, there's, there's a lot, I mean, I know it's always hard to parse through. There's so many tiny individual things that dogs do with different parts of their body to communicate that they're uncomfortable. Um, I always do come back to looking for tension, thinking about breed. Sometimes that gets a little bit thrown off because something like a Jack, a dog like a Jack Russell is naturally probably going to carry a little bit more, (laughs) more tension in their body. Sometimes, even if they're just happy, excited Mm -hmm. than a, than a Cavalier King Charles. Um, So those dogs can just look different. One has more muscles. So they just look, (laughs) you know, um, they just look more tense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do come back and, and say, looking at overall body tension, I think a lot of times is really helpful. Um, looking specifically at, you know, the mouth and the corners of the mouth and, and where are they? Are they pulled back far and really tight? Are they pulled forward into kind of a, an offensive pucker or are they relaxed? Mm-hmm. Same thing with the forehead and the eyebrows is there, you know, are those, are those little eyebrows pulled together and are the wrinkles in the foreheads that the dog is tense? Mm-hmm. Is the tail down and tense or up and tense? Um, so a lot kind of comes back to tension um, and then things like licking of the lips or maybe whale eye where you can see the whites of the dog's eyes. Those are all things that can happen while the dog is very still and seemingly very calm. But there's a, there's a quiet storm happening on, underneath <laughs> it all. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all really, really excellent uh, uh, points and, and important things for for people to look for um, and observe in those situations. And then, uh, you know, I would also just add and and understanding that we don't always know this when we're encountering, uh, you know, a dog, say for the first time, but definitely, you know, the dog's age um, and the the context in which this is occurring and, you know, the behavior history too, you know, of the dog. if, if I know that the dog has a history of, you know, biting, quote, unquote, without warning, I'm going to be looking a lot harder for subtle, um, you know, indications that the dog is uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think, uh, gosh, you hit just about all of the sort of classic uh, body language things that I would look at. Certainly the muscle stiffness, much easier to, uh, to observe um, in a smooth coated dog. Uh, when you get into mm. real yes. fluffy dogs, uh, then you're looking more at just kind of the the overall sort of um, outline, you know, of the dog and, uh, you know, whether they look really um, rigid uh, in their posture, um, if they look really straight in their body and really still. Uh, but yeah, that can be a little bit harder. 
Yeah, if they look like a statue version of themselves. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you want to slow slow things down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I also find 100%. too, like just even looking at yeah, and looking at where their weights shifted to sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, as a shift of back, as a shift of forward, or are they just sort of confident and just standing there. Um, like that that can definitely play into it. And I think and then also, I think you're right about the like the stiffness is a big thing. And on, on the other side of that is ones where they're like a little bit more loose. So they might be loud and barking, but they're, 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 and I, I find with those dogs too, like it gets into, and you mentioned, I think Sarah, you talked about being, you know, the conflicted. And I feel like, especially if you have dog where, where they, maybe they're more dog selective or they maybe take some while to warm up and those types of things, you kind of get that, you get those conflicted things. So there's a part of them that's like, Hey, I'm interested and maybe want to go investigate. But then there's another part of me that's either frustrated or there's another part of me that's unsure. And I think like those, that's where it tends to get tricky sometimes. So if you feel like sometimes your dog is confused, that could be the case (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's not binary, right? It's not like, Oh, I like dogs or I like people for, for every dog. Like there's a lot of dogs where it's like, I like some dogs and I don't like other dogs or I like some people. I don't like other people. And, and maybe when I meet new people or new dogs, I have a, you know, it's, it's a little scary, but also a little exciting. And I think people can relate to that. It's like, you know, um, like s- certain social gatherings are like that for people. So I think, you know, just understanding your dog's not a, it's not, it's not a binary either, or so sometimes it can be a mixture of both. And I think when you have those cases, that's where you definitely want guidance from a professional to kind of help you walk that line. Cause I feel like that's where sometimes people can get into trouble because they feel like their dog is quote unquote fine sometimes and not others and sort of understanding why that's the case. And, th- and that usually involves a couple of things. One is wh- why are they, why are they uncomfortable? Um, and then also what signs do they have specific to them that let you, that tell you that, Hey, they're more comfortable in this case or less com- comfortable in the other case. And if, if someone at home has a dog who, whether it's when people come to the door or whether it's out on a leash barking at things or whatever it may be, if, if the dogs, if your dog's making a lot of noise, you know, if they're doing sort of the classic, what we call like reactivity signs of like they're, they're barking and maybe they're lunging and, you know, they look generally pretty unhappy. Um, it can be a lot of times, you know, people may ask, well, how can I tell if he's going to bite? Right. If my dog's doing that behavior, I don't know if he's just upset or I don't know if, if I let him go up to the person if he's if he's going to bite them. And the short answer is often we don't know either. You know, when, <laughs> when there's that level of arousal, it can be really hard to tell. Yeah. Um, but there are times when we would say unequivocally, it is a very bad idea for you to try to find out right now. You know, mm-hmm. and I think some of those signs are a lot of very fixed eye contact at the target and directed barking. There's really very little kind of breaking off from, yeah, from what the, uh, you know, what the object of interest is. There's probably some other ones too, if anyone wants to kind of add to that. Well, I was just thinking that, um, and this applies, I guess I would say it applies probably primarily to, you know, puppies or adolescent, you know, dogs. Um, and when I say puppies, I mean, I don't mean, you know, eight week old puppies, but, uh, you know, older puppies or uh, adolescent dogs, but it can also apply to some adult dogs um, in situations where you're seeing a big display or, you know, some amount of reactivity towards, you know, a person or another dog. With some of these dogs, even though it might be a dramatic display, you'll see them pausing, even if it's just kind of a little micro pause, 
and maybe even sort of checking in with their person real quick, kind of like, what kind of feedback am I getting here? Like, how am I doing, you know, uh, with this, uh, <laughs> you know, experiment? And um, that always, you know, strikes me as um, probably more sort of experimental uh, behavior and, and, and not necessarily committed behavior. Um, and whenever I see them occasionally pausing, um, or uh, especially looking for some type of feedback uh, from a person they trust, um, you know, it, that, you know, I feel like that is a, a, a usually a safer situation. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't mean just let your dog to go up to oh, whatever gosh, no. or whoever it is they're barking at. But but I, I do really like that point. And I think, yeah, it's something that, that tells us the dog's like, well, like, I don't know, like, what do you think about this? Yeah. And actually, you know? <laughs> I, I, I take back, I didn't, I should not have said that it's a safer situation because it may, it may, it may not be, especially um, since we don't know what kind of feedback they're going to get, you know, and if they get the wrong feedback in that situation, it might turn into a, a very unsafe uh, situation. But I think, I guess what I, what I mean to say is that I would, um, I would expect that dog's behavior to be more malleable and more um, easily influenced by good handling in that moment. Yeah, well said. I think that's yeah, absolutely true. Yeah, and then just uh, I, I know we already touched on growling. It was actually my next topic, so so we were on there. But maybe are there times where people interpret growling as something bad when it's not? So I know most people probably interpret a growl as you know we should probably listen <laughs> to that. Um, I think most people have probably played tug with their dog or those types of things and heard growls. Um, but I'm just wondering, are there any other, like, I feel like sometimes I, the reason why I bring this up is sometimes I feel like people can overreact to a growl because there's like growls. And then there's like, I, I almost call it like grumbling. Like there's sometimes yeah. they're like voicing their displeasure, but it doesn't mean they're really going to escalate or anything. It's just like, and maybe they do that more with like people in their social group, like, you know, so I just I, I think that was sort of the one where I want to bring up, like just sort of on the flip side of it. Are there times when that growling or grumbling or whatever is more maybe just like communication um, and you still want to listen absolutely. to it, but maybe it's not as dire. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, I think growling can mean so many different things. I mean, it can mean it can mean, you know wow, this is a dynamite game of tug we're playing. You know, this is like the best, you know, game ever. I mean, I was playing with a chocolate lab yesterday uh, and she started growling uh, like crazy, you know, and um, it, clearly it was, it was, you know, very, it was non-threatening. It was just, you know, wow, I'm having a great time, you know, playing with you. And um, I think to your point, Brian, I think it can definitely mean in some situations something along the lines of, you know, please understand you're making me really uncomfortable right now. And I would very much like to avoid conflict with you. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a, a very legitimate communication. Um, and, you know, one that we want to be listening to. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, that said, I mean, it could also mean, uh, you know, fool, this is my couch, get, get off right now, or I'm going to bite you. I mean, you know, it could mean so mm -hmm. many different things. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think this is one that is probably lends itself. Well, I mean, it's so individual by dog and you get to know individual dogs well and how sort of uh, <laughs> talkative they are about mm -hmm. their feelings. 
Um, and some are very much so and some are not at all. Um, and then there's probably some breed differences too there um, of breeds who are just naturally more vocal about stuff. Um, and so, but if we kind of look at growls, because I agree with you, I mean, we, I often classify them and I know Brian, you do too, as like there's grumbles and then there's growls, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's the grumbles that are kind of like, yeah. like, stop, you're kind of being annoying. And we should listen because we don't want a grumble to turn into a growl. Right. But it's more, you know, it's like, I don't love this. Could you please yeah. knock it off? Um, and then there's growls and growls, like to your point, Ruth, could be, I'm really uncomfortable and potentially quite fearful. Or if you try to take this bone from me, I will have no problem biting you. Mm -hmm. And I think, I guess, like a lot of other communication, it's not just the growl. Mm -hmm. You know, a dog who's standing with two feet over a bone with their head lowered and their eyes fixed on you and their ears forward, and they're doing a low growl at you is probably a dog who, you know, means business. But your own dog who's maybe laying on the couch and you bump them when you sit down and they go, hmm. Yeah. You know, that's those are different. Yeah. Um, and who quickly, you know, gives maybe a, a little yawn and stretches and moves two feet away. So yeah. I think looking at the whole dog and the whole context is always really important. Yeah. No, I, I, I was just going to reiterate that I think um, one thing that just keeps coming to mind over and over again is that we should all be uh, more um, more cautious about interpreting the body language or any type of communication uh, coming from a dog that we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I love, there's some really helpful tools available that go over, like there's one, I think it's called like the ladder of aggression and there's different mm -hmm. things that kind of go through these range of um, signals and, and, and signs that dogs get off, give off when they're uncomfortable. But the big caveat that we have to put in when we talk about that stuff is that it's not a linear progression no. for all dogs and not all yeah. dogs are going to display all signs. Um, so really knowing the individual dog is important and with dogs that we don't know, taking what they tell us very, you know, mm -hmm. seriously and responding it to, to it appropriately, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That yeah. It's interesting. I, I thought about that. Oh, go, go ahead, Ruth. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I maybe we're about to say the same thing, but I was actually thinking of the ladder of aggression uh, before we started um, our conversation, and I was thinking that um, I, 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 you know, it makes me it makes me uncomfortable um, when I see this actually uh, uh, promoted broadly because I feel like it's not clear that a lot of dogs are going to skip a lot of rungs on those ladders or on that ladder. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, I think it, it implies that a linear progression is sort of standard. And I think that in reality, not very many dogs are going to show um, or, you know, step on each one of those rungs. Right. So you're going to, and some of them are going to jump around you know, or it's going to be in a different order or something. And, and just so, um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I've, I have mixed feelings about the, the ladder of aggression. I think shown alone, it's very easy for the average person without any other context given 
to it it can give a false sense of security about mm -hmm. um you know the escalation of behaviors i think within context and a, and presented with all the information that needs to surround it about you know these are generalities and it's individual to the dog and everything we just talked about mm -hmm. it can be helpful in giving people some kind of framework to understand that there are general there are generalities it's just mm -hmm. dangerous to assume that it's yeah. It fits to every dog. And I, I've thought about it before, like with this, uh, to your, to both of your point, like one, I've thought about like, it's almost like an elevator and the dog gets to decide which buttons they press. So like each, each floor in the buildings, like a certain level, but like they can absolutely skip floors, um, if they want to, or I've thought about it almost like a snakes and ladders board where each, each sort of vertical levels, like kind of like the, the aggression, but the, the ladders that your dog can go from, from one level to another is it, it could be different by the dog and it can be different for that same dog in different contexts. So I think it's like, yeah, I, I think that that's a really important point. Cause I've definitely, um, I mean, I haven't been bit very much in my life, but I've definitely had dogs go from, you know, they're in front of you looking okay. And they go into a bite very quickly. And then there are dogs who are just much more stereotypical and kind of show a lot of those signs in between and ho hopefully you don't get bitten by those dogs because they're, they actually show you lots of stuff as long as you're listening but there's definitely dogs where are really tricky and they'll go from, you know, they'll, they'll go from, from the floor to the top very fast. So um, yeah. So I think, I think that's important. So yeah, I think to, to your points, it's a good thing. So people can understand like what are the varying levels or the varying types of behaviors that can be displayed, but you definitely have to know that, that they can skip steps in that ladder. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that it's, it's great to have examples, um, you know, of all of those different signs. And I think they're all of those different signs, you know, from the pursed lips or the look away or the, I mean, all of those things that are displayed on the ladder, plus some that are probably not displayed on the ladder, um, are good for people to be familiar with. Um, yeah, I think it's just important that, um, that they're not misled to think that it's always going to be this really standard linear progression. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, so the next one is, it's actually a favorite of mine because I actually love uh, working with these dogs and it's, it's dogs who are kind of like the over aroused, jumping, bitey, nippy. Um, and I'm trying to see how, yeah, it's like kind of like stressy over jumping. And a lot of times it's mistaken for like happy excitement. Um, so You'll, you'll see this with dogs sometimes like, you know, if, if you go for a walk, the dog is just like jumping all over the place. They might start grabbing onto the leash or playing tug with the leash or they might start grabbing onto clothing. Or it can be just dogs who maybe you play a game of tug and they go through the roof with excitement where it gets inappropriate. <laughs> or when meeting new people. Or when meeting new find people. Sometimes that's another one as well. When meeting new, if we think about kind of when these behaviors crop up and where um, there's potential room for people to misinterpret. I think greeting people is a big one. Those dogs that have that really high level of arousal and overexcitement. I love the one, Brian, that you mentioned about at certain points on a leash, um, on a leash walk, maybe the, the dog's out for a really long time or something like that. And another one we sometimes hear from from clients is, you know, the dog going into the into the dog park 
and all of a sudden becoming very overstimulated and over aroused and jumping up at the owner. Mm -hmm. um, and what does that actually mean? Right. So can, can we define over aroused so people, <laughs> I know like over aroused can mean something in human, <laughs> human stuff versus dog stuff. So, so with dogs, I think we're, we're just saying that it's almost like, um, I guess the best way to describe it, it would be like a kid maybe going to, I don't like. What was well, arousal is just a, a readiness for action, right? So it means our internal systems are how ready are we to act and respond to something. And so really low level of arousal, I mean, zero would be, I don't know if it's zero, but would be, you know, we're asleep mm -hmm. and really low arousal is like we're resting on the couch and moderate is, you know, we're up and engaged and like we're talking on this podcast now, we're having a conversation and higher level of levels of arousal would be, you know, you're playing sports or you're, I don't know. Disneyland. Yeah. And then, and, and that can creep up into sort of what we would coin over arousal, which is where you've kind of lost your faculties of, <laughs> of decision. Not, you haven't lost them, but so almost your, like your decision-making is compromised. You're, you're like a toddler who's about to have a meltdown. Yeah. I mean, or I, I, a sports fan and they're, or I just wanted to add there yeah. or a sports fan where you're really excited about the game and, and even if your team wins sometimes, well, I mean, I'm not advocating to go out and destroy things, but we, the examples are even when your team wins, like people like mobs will go out and start flipping cars over. Like mm -hmm. that sort of excitement can tip over into this inappropriate behavior um, sometimes even with people. So that's sort of the other example I give um, as well. Right. And that would be very high. Very high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think in terms of kind of like a, I, I guess, a functional definition, I like uh, the direction Sarah was going in terms of, uh, you know, I think I definitely think of over arousal as the point or the point at which, you know, the dog is going to be less easy to uh, influence or, or, you know, their behavior is less easy to guide. It's, it's harder to get their attention it would be potentially challenging to get them to perform even a really, really simple skill um, that, you know, they, uh, they nominally have mastery of. Uh, if they're over aroused, that all becomes challenging, um, as opposed to just, you know, aroused, which I would, you know, I would hope that I could still, you know, influence my, my dog or, or uh, you know, guide it toward you know, sitting or, or coming when called or something uh, when aroused, but over aroused is, is more challenging. Yeah. And so what would be like the underlying, so what, what's getting lost in translation? So I think a lot of times people see it as excitement, right? So it's mm -hmm. like, oh, my dog is really excited to go for a walk. So they grab the leash and they pull on it, or they're really excited when people come over, but they're like bouncing off the walls and grabbing clothing and doing stuff. So like, is, is that just excitement or, or can there be other sort of feelings that can be motivating that behavior. And how do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference? Yeah. I was just going to say that I think we have a general tendency as, as, you know, as people, as humans to like to put things in boxes. So we want one single label, uh, that we can slap on behavior and say, Oh, that's happier. That's excited. And in reality, as we, we keep, you know, coming back to, there's often uh, conflicted feelings, right? Um, it's often a combination of, of feelings going on. So maybe there is some excitement, uh, maybe there is some, you know, something I would call happiness, but there may also be some nervousness or anxiety or, um, you know, something like that. Yeah, and I think, so when we look at dogs who, you know, I, I, would, I would say that most of us, um, as trainers who have done this for a while, 
can watch a dog greeting someone and say, mm, there's, there's more than just I'm excited. I'm happy and excited to see you. And that's it. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of us can tell when there's something else there, whether it's I'm a little bit anxious or I'm a little bit fearful or I just don't know what I'm supposed to do in this context. Um, whatever it might be, there's some level of conflict there that's bumping up that arousal level. Um, most, I will say for, for our team anyway, generally when we have a dog who has a really, really high level of arousal when greeting people, that tells us something about the dog and their comfort level with the greeting. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean fearful. Right. But there's something there mm -hmm. that makes this interaction not totally comfortable. Right. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. agree. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, if we sort of uh, operationalize that into what are the what are the behaviors we're seeing mm -hmm. that make us that make us say that, you know, mm -hmm. that make us reach that conclusion? Um because again, arousal level varies by dog. So, well, I think it goes back to Ruth's thing. Like they can't, they, they can't perform like those basic. Like I, I find, like if they, especially dogs, they are, if they already know like a sit and can can think and you know interact in normal ways, and then they get in these situations and they're, it's almost like they lose their ability to make good decisions or like to even make a decision. Like they seem very, it seems very like just not a whole lot of thought. It's very <laughs> right. Like it's almost like they're a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was going to say there's there's sort of a uh, there's some sort of com compulsivity uh, almost that 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 comes across um, to my mind, um, and I was also just thinking that um, another thing that uh, I notice in those greetings is that they tend to uh, really miss. Uh, the social cues that they're getting from the the either the person or the other animal that they're greeting, right? So they're not responding appropriately mm -hmm. to the other party um, in those situations. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Because I was thinking like, you can't, it's hard for them to do a skill if you ask them to do it. It's also hard to interrupt a lot mm -hmm. of times. Like it's almost like they kind of just blow, blow past any sort of like, yeah, the feedback they're getting. So maybe another dog gives them some sort of information like a growl or a snap to like, Hey, like chill out. And they don't really listen to it. Or maybe the owner asks them to stop, or maybe they shorten up on their leash or they do whatever. And the dog is just sort of, you know, bounding through that. So I would say, um, yeah, it's almost like they, they keep almost engaging these behaviors and it keeps escalating without, so yeah, taking feedback from the other people there. I think that's a great yeah. way of saying it. I actually. think those are good ones. And I think if there's, again, these are not hard and fast or, or across the board for all dogs, but some other things, if, if someone's wondering if there's, if this mm -hmm. sounds kind of familiar <laughs> and you're just wondering, Hey, is there, mm -hmm. is there something more than just, <laughs> just happiness going on here or mm -hmm. just, just plain old excitement going on? Um, again, not true for every dog, but you know, sometimes it can be a dog who in that state is not even remotely interested in taking some of the treats they would normally take mm -hmm. or engaging with a toy that they would normally engage with. I find a lot of times with those dogs, when you actually look and if you watched a video of them in slow motion, 
attempts by the person they're greeting to actually engage, say with physical touch or put their hands down and try to pet the dog is wildly unsuccessful. And the dog's actually kind of moving away from that. Mm -hmm. They're not melting into it. That's not the type of engagement they want. So I feel like sometimes that happens. There's an avoidance of actual physical contact from the person, which seems so counterintuitive Mm -hmm. to you know, you know, a lot of owners when they're watching it. And also just that there's some acceptance by breed, but that like rebounding off of someone jumping, like the, the launching themselves oh, yeah. repeatedly. The yes. Yes. <laughs> With or without claws out yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. So I would say those are kind of some cues you yeah. can look for. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, and nippy, nippy mouthy stuff, depending on the dog. Yeah, I was going to say I, I, the pounce off can, in some cases, include a little nip to the torso as well. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And but also, um, so I think those are kind of things to look for. Yeah. Also, I think that the sort of overexcited greeting and um, also maybe just sort of the jumping up behavior, jumping up on on people. Um, or maybe even some of the sort of nipping and leash biting. I think that all that whole sort of suite of um, really animated um, uh, arousal behaviors can come across or can be interpreted very, very differently depending on breed. Um, And what I'm saying is not that you should. I'm just saying that I think that when people see like a doodle, you know, behaving that way, they tend to interpret it as happy, excited. Um, Whereas if it's a more formidable Mm -hmm. breed, uh, like a pit bull type, you know, leaping up and uh, nipping it, I think it tends to be interpreted as more, um, more frightening or aggressive, more threatening. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, and I, and and I don't know that that is, you know, fair. <laughs> um, but I'm just, you know, I think that this is one of those, yeah. those areas where um, without deliberately sort of stereotyping according to group to breed or anything like that, we just, we interpret things very differently depending on what the dog looks like. Yeah, absolutely. That and, and oh yeah, that and I, I was just going to say, I, I honestly, if I think, I think back to if I had a, most of the over arousal cases on leash have tend to been pit bull type dogs. And I think one of the interesting things with them is when they, when they do tug on clothing or leashes, they're pretty damn good at it. So, um, and so I think for some owners, I feel like it can, it can just seem like a, a bigger challenge just because they're just strong. Sure. Um, and, and I, and again, we, we own pit bull type dogs. I love them, but um, when they get over aroused, sometimes um, they can be very good at it. Yeah. So I would just say, like, I would say like, that's, uh, that, that, that's something too. So it's in, it's in addition to just sometimes being like, it's just that they look different. I also think so, some dogs are just a little bit more committed to it or can be a little bit more challenging to work through yeah. these issues. Yeah. And I guess if we step back from this a little bit and say, you know, why does it, why, if it's say a smaller dog or a dog who's not like latching on or causing harm, you know, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Why does it matter if a dog gets a little overexcited? Um, and, you know, I do think we can talk about kind of the benefits to, to people and all the reasons that it's a good idea not to have your dog potentially launching at someone who may not appreciate it and who may re- may react very, very poorly to that happening. But it's not a pleasant feeling mm-hmm. often for the dog. Right. You know, really, if we try to imagine to to feel that 
frantic and worked up about something. And I think that's sort of the, if I wanted to get a message across about that, why you should do something to help your dog with potential sort of over arousal issues is it's not happiness. You know, it's a, it's a frantic, icky feeling. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it'd be almost like if we were like abducted, if we were like abducted by aliens and they didn't really understand her body language and there was a person, they had a person and the person just like panting or pacing back and forth and maybe like biting their nails and, or maybe like even just like, like, oh, they seem really happy. They're like walking back and forth or like they're doing their thing, but like they're not, you're not really feeling good. So just because there's activity happening, yeah, does not mean that it's, you know, uh, a good thing. So, um, and And I totally get why it's easy for people to misinterpret. Right. And like, also because as humans, typically we like to get dogs a little bit excited. We can condition them to be sort of overexcited and over aroused by how we greet them, you know, with sort of squealing and big, excited, animated, because it's fun to see your dog get happy, but it can tip over to a place that's not fun for them. Cool. All right. So the next one, um, so this is one that came from you, Ruth, and I actually really like this one. So I added this in, which is taking treats being interpreted as we are friends now, or he or she trusts me. And I think why this one's a little bit, a little bit challenging is one, it can be seen very counterintuitive um, just because like they are taking food and it feels good to do that. Um, but then also I think that what's tough about this one is I think it gets really, it gets into the, the conflicted emotions again. So it's like, yeah, I might like the treat, but I really don't like you um, or I'm really uncomfortable with you. Um, but I really want that cheese. Right. So it's sort of a weird thing. And I know, um, you know, Mergy Alonzo used to always give the example of kissing Aunt Tilly, which was like, you know, in order to get her $5 or to get a cookie or something, she had to kiss her Aunt Tilly and she really didn't want to kiss Aunt Tilly, um, you know, for whatever reason. So it, uh, that always reminds me of that. So I think I'll just use that to sort of to, to tee it off. But um, I think this is a really important one because it can also be dangerous too, especially if you have a certain dog. So I'll kind of let you sort of take it from there, Ruth, but sort of why why you brought this one up because I think it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I, you know, I raised it for a few reasons. One is that I think, um, you know, so many, so many people understand the value of food in training and behavior modification. And I think they very understandably want to incorporate it in helping, uh, dogs that may be shy or, or, or fearful or under socialized. So, you know, it's, 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 it's very common, I think, for, for, you know, dog owners or fosters uh, of, of dogs to encourage, you know, strangers um, or visitors to their home, uh, friends, family, to give their dogs treats in order to help the dogs become more comfortable with people in order to, you know, help them uh, to become more confident um, or more, more friendly. Uh, with strangers. And so, uh, you know, this comes up a lot in my own practice, you know, working with people. uh, And I do think that it's important that people understand that there are some, you know, risks involved with this approach, and that there are some, some, I guess, you know, red flags to look for, or at least some things to keep in mind. Um, And one of the big ones is that if you have a highly uh, food driven or food motivated dog, uh, a dog, you know, for whom food is the be all and end all, you know, they may, 
be willing to go way outside their comfort zone to collect that piece of hot dog or that piece of cheese. And, you know, by encouraging a, a stranger or, or even somebody that isn't a complete stranger, uh, uh, encouraging that person to offer, you know, especially high value food, um, you know, you may be luring that dog way, uh, again, way outside of its comfort zone and into a situation that it's just not prepared uh, to handle gracefully. Uh, and uh, then, you know, on top of that, I think it's very, it's very understandable for the average person to assume that if a dog is approaching them, coming right up to them and taking food from their hand, that the dog trusts them. And that at that point, it would be um, absolutely appropriate to lean down, say, and pet the dog on the head or, you know, scratch the dog under the chin or, you know, lean down and kiss the dog on the forehead or something. I mean, people, you know, people would potentially uh, take that step next. And, and, you know, there's many dogs that will not be remotely comfortable with that. So, you know, we just want to, I think, get that message out. Yeah. And that's a, I like, I really like this one a lot and I like how it, it does kind of tie in generally to um, the misinterpretation that because a dog is approaching you, whether you have treats or not, that's a sign that they want you to touch them. And the reality is that dogs for as good, as incredible as their sense of smell is, Dogs like to, man, they like to get right in there when they are smelling something and investigating and gathering information. I mean, if you've watched your dog on a walk um, or in your backyard or whatever it is, I mean, touching, right? Mm -hmm. Like they want to be, they want to shove their face into whatever it, it is to gather information. And so a lot of times a dog who's approaching is not at all, is it in their mind that they're going to have physical, like some kind of physical contact or interaction with you or that they want you to reach down and touch them. It's that they just want to investigate the way that dogs investigate, which is get up real close, mm-hmm. um, you know, and gather more information through smell or whatever it might be. So um, I think it's a really easy one for people to misinterpret. Uh, but just because a dog comes up to smell you does not mean they've given you license to reach down and, and pet them. Um, and I think the treats can just really kind of exacerbate that and make you kind of turn you into a magnet um, mm-hmm. where they would never have approached to investigate otherwise. Yeah. You know, they weren't even at that level of comfort yeah. and all of a sudden they're right on top of you. Yeah. And and I think like it's not to take away from the fact that food can be re- really important in terms of, you know, the counter conditioning, which is, you know, changing that those emotional responses. It's just that how it's used in those situations or how it's used in those situations needs needs thought and it needs a plan. And I think that, you know, because maybe at first it's the owner feeding the dog food. So it's like maybe maybe they're reinforcing appropriate relaxed behavior and there's maybe, maybe the dog's tethered or maybe the dog's behind a gate or maybe they're holding onto the leash. There's all kinds of different ways of doing this. So it's not, it's not to say food isn't an important tool because I think it is in a lot of these cases and you can even work up to maybe in some cases where they end up taking food and doing those things, but you might not be jumping to that uh, on day one. You also may never get there depending on the dog. Um, But yeah, I think it's just, it's not something where uh, just feeding treats and creating quote unquote good associations. It's, it's more, 
there's more to it than that. And, and you can actually cause things to backfire. Like for example, like I've seen this with some dogs where if they were very uncomfortable, people coming in and people give them food, it's like, as soon as they would see the treat bag come out, like they would start barking and getting anxious and agitated because I think they were anticipating the, the conflict in the, in the interaction. So you, you could see the dog getting worked up as soon as the owner went to, to grab the treat jar. Um, so I think that it's, uh, you know, it's really important. And I think at the very least, if you are doing it, I think at least having someone throw food from a, from a safe distance is probably safer than handing food off if you feel really compelled to do it. Um, cause at least then you're not, the dog's not right, right up. Um, and that, that gives a way to sort of use the food in a way where there's more, you know, maybe distance, uh, in between them. But yeah, if, if you're at a point where you need where you feel like you need to use food and your dog is confused. And especially if there's any aggression, definitely, definitely a case where you want professional input on that. Yeah. And I think it's like everything else we've talked about, you know, there's no one sign that says things are okay. Right. So just because the dog has taken food doesn't, doesn't mean they're okay. You know, we need to, we need to look at the whole dog and what they're communicating through the rest of their body. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, and, and like I said, I think there's a place where food will actually get you to where you want to go or closer to where you want to go eventually. So I just want to make sure we're not turning people off to using food in those situations. It's just, it needs to be thoughtful. Yeah. I mean, we, we use food for these types of cases very liberally. Um, and yeah, so I certainly don't want to mm-hmm. yes. um, come across as if I'm discouraging that. Um, I'm just saying I totally get why people are, you know, are um, using food in these situations. And I I also get why they may not intuitively uh, understand how to do it, you know, optimally in every case. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And great. Yeah. And I was I was also just going to say, too, I've known a lot of dogs where, you know, just take taking food entirely off the table dogs that simply, you know, are somewhat conflicted about new people and are social enough to have interest, you know, and um, I've known dogs who will, you know, come up fairly loose looking, soliciting attention from a friendly stranger because they like people. But then when the attention starts Mm -hmm. happening, if it lasts longer than, you know, a few seconds, or if the person, you know, looms over them a little too much or makes eye contact, they can suddenly become very uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, that's something that yeah. happens with some dogs as well. And it has nothing to do with food. Um, it's just that they have conflicted feelings about, you know, um, uh, social interaction with strangers, at least. Yep. And definitely. And then there, there are some dogs, and they're not super common, but there are other dogs too, where the food will just get in the way. Um, like you, like you can reward them after the interaction, maybe like by the owner, but like, using the food during the interactions for some dogs, I feel like it, it just gets weird. Um, and so, so some of those dogs, you're better off just doing quick readings without food. Maybe the dog comes back to the owner like, Hey, nice job. And you can reward them yeah. if you want or, or, or maybe not. But I, I think that's the other thing too, is that you have to know your dog. Just sometimes food can get in the way. It's not super common, but it, it, I've, I've seen it impede progress before as well um, well like, in those it, situations. It, yeah. It likely can just muddy what otherwise would be a, 
cleaner social interaction. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we yeah. dog and person. We too. almost never yeah. use food, for example. Just to give you an example of where I I would agree that food can get in the way. Um, we virtually never use it. There are some exceptions, but we virtually never use it in the context of a social assessment between dogs when we are uh, trying to gauge. You know, uh, one dog's kind of, I don't know, baseline attitude towards, you know, a particular dog or different types of dogs. Uh, You know, we have a method of doing this, but we really try to sort of take ourselves um, as handlers out of the equation as much as possible. And the last thing that we want is for the dogs to be focused on getting food from us. Uh, We really want to just be observing, you know, their, their attitude towards other dogs. I know that's a little bit off topic, although it does have a lot to do with observing body language um, uh, and, and those types of uh, social Mm -hmm. cues. One thing that I did want to say regarding, you know, these types of greetings that we're talking about where dogs might approach for attention or uh, even solicit attention or uh, take a treat or accept petting. And this actually goes back to like the, the, you know, rolling over for a belly rub and, and many of the things that we've touched upon. I think that it's, it's really important to remember that just because a dog, you know, consents to you doing one thing or allows you to do one thing, um, doesn't mean that, you, you know, they're ready for you to do sort of the next thing. Um, whether it's, you know, they've taken food from your hand, that doesn't mean that they're, um, going to be comfortable with petting. Um, I also think it, it's important to remember that just because they're allowing you to, you know, rub their belly now or, you know, pet them on the head now, it does not mean that they're going to remain comfortable with that indefinitely. So, you know, one of the things that I always, you know, encourage people to do um, and especially encourage uh, kids to do who, who may be, uh, uh, you know, less, less good at reading animals, or sometimes they're better at it, quite frankly, than, than we are, but um, is to stop what they're doing um, and pause, you know, after uh, uh, two or three seconds, if they're at all uncertain, or if they just don't know the animal well, and, and kind of give the animal a, an, an opportunity to either sort of, you know, re-solicit, like, no, 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 I want more more petting. You know, look, here's my head. Um, I'm going to uh, put it into your hand. Um, I was really enjoying that, you know, ear scratch that you were doing. Or, you know, walk away, as they might choose to do um, when you stop petting. So just, mm. you know, giving them a chance to, um, to communicate uh, frequently along the way. Uh, if you're having an interaction with an animal that you don't know well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can probably post the link to the that video of greeting do's and don'ts yes. that communicates a lot of the same, mm-hmm. you know, inviting a dog over, giving them a clear way to easily tell you like, yep, I want some pets right now and checking frequently to see if they're still into it or if they're yep. done. Yep. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, let's do the next one, which is uh, licking. So, so, so in this one, it's just, it's when it's like excessive licking. So I'm not talking about a dog, you know, just doing normal licking, but excessive licking. So for example, you'll hear people say, so maybe when like, maybe when your dog sees a kid, you know, if they're not around kids a lot, they lick them on their face nonstop, or they do it with new people when they come over and they're up on the couch um, and those types of things. So it's sort of a weird behavior. It can have different meanings. So I thought this was sort of an interesting one. So 
And okay, so and this is it could, I suppose, not even necessarily be excessive, just all the different ways that dogs might use like, quote unquote, kissing Mm -hmm. in the in their interactions with humans. um, And the ways people might misinterpret what the dog is actually how the dog is actually feeling or what they're trying to say. Um, And I guess I would start off by saying that there absolutely are times when I think dogs kiss our faces or whatever else because they're being happy and joyful and it has potentially been reinforced by us with lots of attention and laughter and whatever else it might be. Um, But I think there's reasons beyond that as well. But it sometimes is, I don't know if it's a kiss in human terms, but I think it sometimes certainly is a show of happy, joyful affection. Mm -hmm. Um, But not always. But not always, yeah. (laughs) And I I feel like it's one, like, I always just feel like when I see dogs doing a lot of licking, like excessive licking with someone, or when guests come over with kids, like, I'm always a little bit weirded out by it. Like, because I feel like for me, sometimes I'm like, I don't even really know what it means. But it doesn't make me feel great, I'll say. Like, I'm always sort of like, I need, I need, I need to investigate this more. <laughs> and you're talking about, like, the persistent, persistent sort of a dog sitting, say, on an owner's lap or a new guest's lap and just licking their arm. Like 20 say, minutes. Constantly. Or like, if you hand. let them. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think yeah. uh, the, yeah. the first thing that came to my mind when you raised this topic was the sort of frantic, almost compulsive looking that we see sometimes, you know, often to uh, faces, and I'm thinking specifically of um, kids' faces, uh, actually, um, maybe just because the faces are right there, <laughs> close to, uh, you know, close to the dog's mm-hmm. face. But, um, you know, I think that that's something that um, I'm not super comfortable with, uh, unless I really know the dog well, and I know that, you know, it's... Um, it's not a, a sign of uh, anxiety or, or discomfort. Um, I, I have certainly encountered dogs where that was kind of their MO, that frantic, uh, persistent licking to faces. And if the arousal went up a notch or two, there would be, there would be nipping um, involved. Uh, and so, you know, I do see that of obviously not in all cases, but I, I, I think it can in some cases be a precursor to nipping or it can be sort of on the spectrum. Um, and if, if arousal gets higher, um, then, you know, you can see more problem, problem behavior. So it's, and it's also, I think a good example of behavior that does not necessarily look, um, look enjoyable. Um, on the part of the the dog. And I, again, I'm thinking really specifically of this sort of frantic uh, seeming, you know, uh, persistent, almost compulsive looking, looking. Uh, that's what I'm, you know, uh, talking about. Uh, and, and, and that always concerns mm-hmm. me. Again, if it's something that's hard to interrupt, if it's hard to redirect the dog's focus um, away, if the dog does not seem relaxed, if, uh, you know, if it, if it goes on and on and on, um, I tend to think the dog is not enjoying this any more than I am looking at it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's really well said. And I think it's it's funny. We, um, I guess it's because we label them kisses. Mm-hmm. But 
when you see, uh, you can easily see a lot of times in dog-dog interactions, there's dogs who default to this with other dogs and that constant kind of licking of other dogs' mm -hmm. muzzles. And there are very few dogs that enjoy a dog doing that, yeah. <laughs> that to them. You know, it's a really off-putting behavior for a lot of dogs. Some dogs can become quite aggressive mm -hmm. about a dog trying to do that persistently with them, especially if it's a dog who's no longer, a, you know, a teensy puppy. Mm -hmm. But even most puppies don't do that excessively and continuously for long periods of time. Um, so yeah, I would agree. It sort of reads to me as just a generally not a healthy, pleasant behavior. And it's something that probably is communicating that the dog could benefit from learning some skills to help them know how to navigate these situations mm -hmm. um, better, you know. Um, and then uh, not the excessive licking, but I do agree. I think there's some times where uh, licking can very much be a, to the dog, a distance increasing signal or a request for someone to stop what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we misread it. Things like, um, you know, an owner trying to brush a dog or, or clip a dog's nails or even give the dog like a hug or a kiss or pet them. And the dog responds with some very polite, lovely, like, licking of the hand that says, hey, could you please stop that? And the human interprets it as, oh, he likes it. He's giving me a kiss. And it's just, again, it's not, we're not trying to, we're just, we're misinterpreting that signal. Yeah. I think that's a common one. If you're doing something to the dog where you start touching them somehow and their immediate response is to turn and lick your hand, most often, I would say, that dog is asking you very politely to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Definitely. Cool. So the next one here, um, and th this is the last one um, that I've had, which is uh, barking at approaching dogs and people on leash as like she's protecting me. So this, I know we spoke a little bit about, um, I guess dogs doing some barking and growling with people, but this one in particular, it's sort of like that on leash. Um, I guess it can be off leash, but interpreting that as like they're protecting me from from the other dog or they're protecting me from the person. And in general, I think I mean we use this line a lot, like that they're protecting themselves. Well, and maybe <laughs> right? let's yeah, I think that so that one thing that that we hear sometimes and that dog owners say is you know oh he's very protective of me or she's very protective of me and. Um, I think it would be nice to potentially talk through what are the varied explanations sometimes for what an owner might commonly label as a dog being protective of them, um, whether it's on leash or whether it's mm -hmm. in the home mm -hmm. or, or whatever it might be. Um, Cause I think there's, there's quite a range and sometimes it's a combination of things as well. Um, and this might be another one where breed comes into play sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times when we hear, oh, the dog's being protective of me, that tells us something about what the behavior outwardly looks like, right? Is that the dog, when in the presence of the owner, someone or something is approaching them both and the dog's responding with growling or barking or lunging or snapping or some combination of those behaviors, right? Is, is common, commonly if we hear an owner say, my dog is protective of me and we ask them to describe what that looks like, that's the, that's the situation or that's the scenario. Um, and well, that may be the case, and let's make sure I guess we're defining this correctly. When I hear that, what I'm interpreting the owner means is that the dog is responding with these, you know, 
threatening behaviors in a in an attempt to keep the owner safe from harm. Right, right. And what I would put forth is that that may sometimes be the case, but the vast majority of times there's another explanation at play that's driving the bulk of the dog's behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I would absolutely I think agree one with of that. the common ones and, 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 and there are several possible explanations. Absolutely. There absolutely are. And I think sometimes it can be a combination of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing to ask um, in these situations is does your dog say your dog barks at other dogs on leash? And maybe we can go through a, a series of, mm-hmm. of questions people can kind of ask themselves to, to see if this is actually the case say your dog barks at other dogs on leash, you know, it might be something where we say, are they totally comfortable and relaxed and they don't bark at any dogs when you're not around, you know, and that doesn't, if that's the case, that still doesn't mean necessarily that they're trying to keep you safe from harm, but that can be a starting point. Say, look, are they just generally uncomfortable around dogs and that behavior is going to happen whether I'm around or not? Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then probably they're not trying to protect you. Yeah. They're just uncomfortable with thugs. Right. right. Um, I mean, it, and, and on the flip side, when they, when they, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, w- I was just going to say, I think, I think that's a, a really important question. And even once we get to, so, I mean, I, like Sarah, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, does the presence of the owner, uh, like, is that a factor, right? Is the presence of the owner in the scenario mm-hmm. a factor? Um, suppose we determine that it is, it, that it's a huge factor, right? So the dog growls at, you know, tall men wearing hoodies when they approach, uh, the, you know, the dog unleashed with its owner, take the dog, take the owner out of the equation and the dog happily goes and, you know, um, goes off with the guy with the hoodie and, and, you know, they have a nice walk together and there's, there's no problem there. Right. So, Suppose we, you know, determine that the owner is a factor, then I think there's still more questions there. Is it that, um, you know, is the mere presence of the owner the biggest factor, which might, uh, you know, again, it might indicate that that is being, uh, um, is the behavior of the owner the, uh, you know, the, the biggest factor? Is it in fact, and we talked about this earlier too, is it the feedback that the owner is giving, uh, you know, the dog in that situation mm-hmm. or another, uh, possibility would be, is it the owner's response to the tall man in the hoodie, um, walking towards that's, that's yet another thing that you could, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, potentially determine, right? So there's so many different things that could be influencing the dog's behavior. Um, and again, this is assuming that the dog is, um, you know, that they're sort of like baseline feeling towards tall men in hoodies is, is neutral, which we don't know. Right. It, 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 yeah. I think that comes back to sort of, there's a difference between there's the quote, Oh, he's fine. <laughs> like quote unquote, he's fine with men in hoodies, but he barks and growls at them when I'm holding the leash. When in fact the dog may just be far more inhibited with other people, you know, uh, like if someone else is holding the leash, the dog may not love men in hoodies, but yeah. he's not barking and growling at them. Um, and there, and, and, yeah. And there also can just be some times where um, I feel like the dog has more confidence when they're with their 
owner yeah. or their group. It's almost like I feel like they have backup or something. Yeah. So they're like a yeah. little bit more vocal. Whereas if they're with someone else, they're like, I don't really know anyone here. I'm out, kind of out on my own. So I'm just going to play cool. Absolutely. But I feel like that that, that can come into it as yeah. well. All oh, the- I, I was just saying oh, we see that with um, house housemate dogs as well, where uh, sometimes uh, when housemates are walked together and uh, oftentimes maybe one of them is more confident and social and the other one is more shy or less social, um, it, on leash together, the less social dog or the, the shyer dog might put on a huge display um, towards, uh, you know, a stranger or another dog. Whereas if you take the confident, friendly dog away, then suddenly they're, they're really working at staying under the radar. And, uh, suddenly they're, they're really, you know, uh, toning it down and minding their P's and Q's (laughs) because they don't have that backup (laughs) or something, or they feel, they feel less, less confident, less emboldened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Without the sort of safety of their social network around them. Yeah, because and and then there's times where like I remember when we used to do a lot of back before we had our facility, we did a lot of day training and we would go into people's houses and like we would do the consult and the dog would be lunging and barking at us. And then like but like 99 percent of them when we showed up, people were like worried, like what's going to happen when you show up for training and I'm not here? We walk in, the dog's almost always fine. Like the, and, and like sometimes quote unquote fine, quote unquote but. fine, but yes, <laughs> but, ab- absolutely. Yeah. But like, but there's, oh yeah, absolutely. They're definitely not quote unquote fine, but yeah. like they, it, it does change the context of things sometimes where I don't think it's, it's not necessarily that they're protecting the owners. It's just like the social context is different. So they might feel a little bit more emboldened or more, more likely to, to be themselves maybe when they have their, their family around, but um the way in which they might show whatever that emotional state is might be different, might be different. when the, the owner is present versus yeah. when they're not. Um, yeah. And you are right. There's a lot of dogs that were quote unquote fine. <laughs> and then, but they would usually warm up to you fairly quickly. No, of course. I know. Um, I'm you know, but um, um, yeah. But I think even then, even if we say, you know, is there some level of discomfort even when the owner's not present is one question we ask if the dog truly is, you know, this, this, this behavior is radically different when my owner is around even then, uh, oftentimes, and I think about this one more as, you know, maybe the the stereotypical small dog who growls at anyone who tries to come sit next to their owner or pet them when they're on their owner's lap, but truly enjoys the person's attention when they're not in that situation. You know, even then, and that's a, maybe an overly specific example, but I still might liken it more to you know, some level of, not always insecurity, but some level of more guarding than protecting. You know, I don't know that that dog is fearful for the owner's safety. They just want that owner all to themselves, you know. Now, now one thing that's interesting about this, and I remember when I first started to hear this, and I was like, I don't know if that's true, but I definitely have seen it quite a bit or get feedback, like where if like, if the if there's an owner in the family who's pregnant, I, I have seen like there, there, there can be an increase in that um, behavior with strangers or other dogs and those types of things. And um, I honestly never really have a good answer for it. I mean, we, we still work through it and do things, but I've heard it anecdotally enough where, and I have known dogs prior to the, to the person becoming pregnant knew, knew that they were very friendly and outgoing and those types of things. So I don't know, 
potentially is it like I, i'm curious if you guys have if, if you guys see that um maybe it's just a change in maybe it's like the changing of the rooms or sometimes people move and maybe it's just like a bunch of environmental stressors that build up um or, or is it something where maybe the dogs are just detecting because they're it's going to be different hormones and i'm sure i'm sure um the the women uh smell different to the dog mm -hmm. if they're pregnant and those types of things and i don't know if that triggers something so it's sort of one where i'm, I'm way out into anecdotal pseudosciencey stuff but i've heard it enough to be like it i feel like there's something there to that sometimes and sometimes there's not but i was just kind of curious what you guys think about that because i think that's one example where if i had to say there's protecting happening that's one where i'm like maybe or maybe they're just stressed and they're just sort of more grumpy but i i curious about it. Your so thoughts on I have this. a theory um, and absolutely no science to back it up. But um, my thinking, well, first of all, I think obviously we need to always remember that dogs pick up on all sorts of things that we, uh, with that we miss, you know, like, I mean, I'm thinking mainly olfactory. And so, you know, I mean, it, it would not surprise me if they can pick up on, you know, hormonal changes, even though we don't really think, you know, so much in those terms. But, you know, based on uh, just a broad experience, you know, with dogs and various types of guarding or, you know, guarding-like behavior, I do think it's fair to say, at least in my experience, that dogs seem more prone to guard in moments or around people that, that show signs of being physically or in other ways compromised um, in terms of their alertness or ability to move quickly. And I'm just thinking of how many times people have told me that their dog that normally allows passersby to pass no problem lunged at someone while they were tying their shoes or picking up poop um, and had their back turned. Um, and suddenly, you know, uh, their dog, you know, jumped towards somebody or barked at somebody, lunged towards somebody. Um, and, you know, I've noticed that, uh, at least in, in my experience during consultations, for example, I've noticed that dogs tend, or some of them, tend to be more uh, prone to guarding if their owners are seated uh, versus standing and appearing to be a little bit more alert, uh, maybe to their surroundings, etc. So I just, I wonder if maybe that is a, a factor in, in some cases, I'm thinking more, you know, further along in, 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 you know, a standard pregnancy. Um, and I, I strongly suspect that it's a combination of things. Uh, but, but I, I, I think that just sort of in general, um, you know, if a dog senses that you're you're compromised in some way, and they have any kind of predisposition, you know, toward uh, you know act, actually protecting you, that that's gonna it's gonna be more likely um, under mm -hmm. those conditions. Yeah, and I think with all of this, that's that's really interesting to hear. Um, it's not to discount that a dog being, say, quote unquote, protective could never happen. Right. It's just that more often than than not there actually is another explanation yes. at play. And it's important to recognize that because the way we tackle the behavior is often, you mm. know, it's just, it's different. It's different. Um, and I also think it's like, you want to understand where they're coming from, right? Like, and so if you think about others being protective, but actually they're really nervous and very uncomfortable, like we definitely want to help them with that, right? Because that's not a well, good way to feel. Exactly. So to that point, if we know that a dog is actually, you know, very fearful of, tall men in hats 
you know, we don't actually have a highly confident dog who's protecting our safety. We have a dog who really needs help feeling better outside right. um, and also to learn some alternate behaviors and things like that. But, um, but you know, the way that we look at and view that problem and how we tackle it is often different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like, I have no doubt, like if someone broke into her house, like our American bulldog Mo doesn't show aggression, but I mean, I, I wouldn't test him. Right. Like I wouldn't break into the house when he's here. Like I've seen him just like just people who look suspicious outside might be, you know, suspicious to him, maybe moving a little bit different, but very confident kind of looks at them. But like, I would be like, if, if shit hit the fan, you know, whether he's protecting himself or us, I mean, who knows, but there's definitely like, I feel like some, some of us haven't really seen our dogs put in that situation either. Um, because things aren't usually that, you know, dire, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think I think it's interesting. So yeah, I, I just I'm glad we touched on that because I do think there are times where I think dogs do do that. I think there's lots of stories, mm-hmm. but I think the vast majority of the time that's not really the explanation. So I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, rather than it being the default explanation for those behaviors, it's often a, yeah. a far less common one. Right, I think that's all. One one thing that I was thinking though is uh, just because we've talked so much about body language and everything. I mean, I wonder if it would be appropriate to just sort of say, like, make any general comments about how, you know, I mean, obviously our human, you know, education system focuses primarily on developing verbal, you know, communication skills. So, I mean, I think that it's it's um, it's you know, I think it's it's really understandable that you know uh, people are not. Uh, super, you know, attuned to observing body language as a form of communication, um, just in general. And the other thing that I think it might make sense to, to point out is that there's a lot of miscommunication that goes in the opposite direction as well. So I mean, we're talking mainly about sort of lost in translation as in terms of um, what we humans are failing to, um, you know, interpret. But I think we we could also at least mention that um, many of our efforts, you know, to communicate uh, uh, to our dogs through touch or body language or, uh, you know, facial expression, even, um, even though they're very attuned to that stuff, and they're very good at reading it, um, they don't always get it right, you know, and so it, 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 it behooves us to really, um, maybe, I don't know, take a, take a course in, uh, uh, you know, dog body language or, or, you know, improve our own vocabulary. Right. Yeah. And we'll have some links to just, uh, in, in the notes for people to do that. And I know that in our online school, we are putting out a free dog body language course, um, probably in the next couple months or so, I would say. Yeah, it should be in the next say, six, six weeks. And I think the it's nice thing, done. the nice thing, Ruth, that you highlighted there is it does incorporate kind of both sides because there's things that we as humans just naturally want to do to communicate that we're being friendly that are that are totally not read that way by a lot of dogs especially if it's an unfamiliar dog because canine communication is different than primate communication you know it's just dogs have gotten so good at living with us and living alongside us and figuring us out that I think it's easy sometimes to forget that we are two different species and we have two different sets of communication and, and all of that. So yeah. yeah, learning more about dog body language is important for us to be able to read them, but also for us to modify our behavior in our interactions with them so that we're not yeah. inadvertently communicating something that we don't want to. So I'm and, so glad and, that you brought just, that up. 
yeah. remembering that they don't speak English. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And I think, well, I think that's a really important point because I've even had this conversation with people like, like you, like you could teach down with the word sit and the sit with the word down. And I feel like, I do feel like sometimes like it takes people, like people understand it once you say it, but like, it's like, um, and maybe the other way to do it is like, you know, there was some one owner one time we had this conversation and we, you know, we taught like showing like a, a soda bottle meant sit and showing, a, uh, I forget some other object, like a, like a ball meant to lay down. Like, so like, like they are learning to discriminate sort of these sounds or, or hand gestures. And, and generally, as most people probably realize, the hand signals dogs tend to do better with. Um, so yeah, they're not really understanding English per se. They're, they're, they're associating certain sounds or body language or things that we do. I think that's just a really important part that they, yeah, they, they don't really understand English. So. Yeah, well, and I think the part of, I know this is going a little off topic now, but I think the part of, um, in terms of scientific research and kind of supporting this, the the pieces of auditory communication that are important to dogs are a lot of times about emotional valence and intensity and sort of like, how are we feeling about right. something? And they can certainly learn kind of a discriminatory, like you said, like a verbal cue means a certain behavior and it's attached to that. But as, in, as far as communication and language goes, mm -hmm. uh, movement and body language and expressions and all of that means so, so much to dogs. Um, and I'll, and I'll grab that study words. too, because I think that, that that one is interesting because I think, and they do pick up on the emotional content of the, of our language mm -hmm. and sort of like the, the volume and the tone. I think they, they are perceptive to that. So, so to your point, there is still. And when dogs are taught to be, um, you know, very fluent in a verbal cue and a hand signal, if you present mixed signals dogs are far more likely to default to the hand signal than the verbal cue, even if they've been shown to know each one separately very well. Yeah, I, I think it's so important, um, both as trainers and, and just as, as pet owners, to remember that dogs are so much more naturally attuned to our, our, our body language and our movement um, than to our words, uh, or, you know, probably maybe even our tone, um, but certainly our words. Uh, and, um, so yeah, just being aware yeah. that, you know, you are communicating so much more, uh, to your dog every moment with your body language and your movement than, than with your words. And yet, you know, because we are so focused on verbal communication as human beings, I think we tend to focus more on what we're telling the dog in words, right? And so just sort of shifting our own focus and awareness uh, to what we're communicating through our body language and movement, I think is a huge step. Well, all right, guys. Well, thank you very much. And um, okay. we'll see you again right. soon. Thank you.